Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about risk-averse management. In our spotlight, we're going to look at a Michigan farmer who topped the corn growers yield contest. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about Gregor Mendel. Cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events and we'll wrap it all up with our Ag Idiom of the Week. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agrummy. Well, it's definitely cold because we can see our breath in studio this morning. <laughs> and I'm not even, that's not a joke, that's <laughs> literal. We will have heat in the studio very soon, so next we couple have, weeks. We have heat now, it's just, it's got to we'll, be shut off we'll every time we leave. Real heat. So it'll be here. But do you know what this heater gets me excited for? What's that? Ice fishing, baby. I did. Go. I'm going this weekend. I can't wait. How far north do you got to go before there's good ice? I could fish Lake Seymour if I wanted to. Winnebago, there's no ice. Uh, Winnebago, there's about an inch yesterday. Inch. Okay. It's not frozen all the way across, though. In the middle, it's still open. I'm going to Shiocton this weekend, I think, to the bayou. To the bayou? To the bayou. I did see on Facebook, Shano, I don't remember what it was, but somebody in the Shano Lake area posted either like drone photos or... A plain photo of Shano Lake, and the caption was, not yet ice fisher in. <laughs> like, if it was, like, Conservancy or <laughs> Shano County or something, but basically, I, like, chill out. The ice isn't ready. Is it a chill out? Is that really the yeah. way? <laughs> <laughs> chill, everybody, out. chill. I saw, Hold your horses. I saw there's people um, down on Asylum Bay, down on, you know, like, the Winnebago system down there. And somebody will be out there with a car like next week, I'm sure. Because that's pretty standard. And they, they get like two inches of ice and everybody's like, fishable. So let's, on go. The, let's go. So on the news, it would be people got COVID vaccine. And then the second story, man falls through lake in yeah car. I mean, it, it's pretty, it's it's usually one of the first lakes or people, or first bodies of water where people are just like, yeah, car, that's fine. Go for it. So we'll see. Next week already, maybe. Well, it's mostly down in the teens for Christmas, so... Yeah, I saw that. I saw some cold temps. Farmer told me yesterday, January, February, look out. The long-range NOAA forecast is cold, cold, cold. Polar vortex, question mark? Yeah, maybe. I just hope we get some snow for our wheat and alfalfa. Yeah, Yeah, that would be nice. Need a blanket. Yeah, we do. We finally got a dry fall to let it um, go dormant in, rather than, you know, trying to go dormant in standing water. So that was good. Now we just need a blanket to finish that off. I got a little blanket by my house. You must too, Max. I got a, a little bit, a little bit, not much. It's weird how Seymour was kind of the line. So yeah. in certain yep. areas you go south and east of Wisconsin, they got a lot of snow. And then north has I mean, no my, snow. My in-laws have like eight inches or whatever. Like they got hammered with snow. And then you get to, you know, here and it's weird. I don't know. I don't even know if you can call it a blanket. It's more no. like a... <laughs> Dusting. Yeah. That's still... I took my... Cat to the vet last Saturday in that, yep. and it was there was more snow there. So shout out Wrightstown Vet Clinic. Yeah, <laughs> we all use Wrightstown Vet Clinic. Oh yeah, you got it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you pretty much have to, right? They're it's the best place to go. No, no free ads. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't bring it up. <laughs> the other big news of the week. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Show you the money. Not show you. Show me the money. Show me the money. Yes. Louder. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. So the Jerry, it should, well, Giannis. Is, Giannis is not going anywhere. Yeah. For a while, anyway. Five years. Five years. Did you really think he was? 
I did. I you actually did? That, and it's funny that morning some of the sports radio guys, um, Zabe that I like out of Milwaukee and he's yeah. out of Green Bay too. He was talking like guy he was basically breaking the news like just prepare that Giannis will leave. You know, just sort of get your mind ready that he's gone. And then that day he broke it that he, that he was signing. So I I Giannis though never said he was gonna leave or anything like that. So nothing no, no. nothing I was, that would I was hearing yesterday somebody I forget who was interviewing, but basically saying like because him being a foreign player, he doesn't have like a home city. He's not from LA, he's not from Miami. Where was LeBron from? Akron. Cleveland. Oh, so yeah, that's Cleveland. why he went that's back why he played for the there and then yeah. right. and yeah, then so. screwed him over and left. Right. Later. Like, so it's not uh, like he had this sure he didn't need to get well, home. Really think of that is I think he feels Milwaukee is right. his home city. Like right. they're the one that brought him here and took as, took as, a chance on him in a way. As soon as he came here, I mean he moved his his whole family, you know, yeah. his brothers played for uh Whitefish Bay Dominican. They, oh in high school. Yeah. So oh, I, I mean they that. I mean they they were here. They've been here. Now, you know, he's got one brother on the team with him. I think the other one's in LA. Yet. He was. I don't know if he still is. So but, I mean yeah. we I mean we've done everything we can to give him what he wants. And he got like Sixty million more, wasn't it? What signing the supermax well, yeah, here versus going, going somewhere, somewhere else? Right. Yep. else? Yeah, yep. But that when you're signing that much money to these guys, nice. but but it's sixty, it's still a lot of millions. So yeah, just good. I mean, for a, it's still for insane a, for a street kid from Greece. Sixty million is sixty million. Yeah, and those guys, isn't it about prestige? Like Aaron Rodgers wanted to be the highest paid quarterback or whatever. He yeah. isn't anymore, but it's like for that time. For that time, I'm the highest paid. Yep. Oh, Bill's oh, dropping. Take it easy, Bill. Yeah. Take it easy. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> so angry. Hit my, hit my hand on the table. Our taxes are all going to be raised because we had to give Giannis a supermax, and now Bill's upset. <laughs> Pound my fist on the table. No, it's great to. It's great that he's going to be here. I mean, gender- don't you think with Milwaukee too was building that new with building the new Pfizer? They're like, we got a sign. Yes. Giannis land. Right. I mean, it's like if they don't sign him. That place will be empty again, or something it's kinda, like. It's kind of like the Cowboys Which building a new stadium it's and empty then right now. being bad. It's like it's you can't anyway. do that. <laughs> you got to be. You spend all that money and promise all these things. You got to then. You got to pay the man. You yeah. got to bring. You got to keep your superstar. So I got my Saturday planned for tomorrow. Oh yeah, it's just watch eleven. 11 a.m. UW Badger basketball. Yep. There's a weird break. So eleven a.m. to one Badger basketball. Yep. Three. Clock, which is a weird start time for football. Badger football. But remember how we talked no axe that's, game. That's the axe game. Not yeah. long ago. Well, it's back on. So axe game, X, X game is back on. So and then that goes perfect because that'll end around six thirty seven. The and then the Packers start at seven thirty. So shout out, was, shout out, my dad, Johnny Mike. It's his birthday tomorrow. Oh, nice. And he's got a full day of Wisconsin sports. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, so where he's like. We're not doing anything. We're just going to watch football. And I'm like, perfect. It works for me. We're going to watch football, and we're going to make steak on the grill. Oh. I'm like, you're speaking my language now, Dad. <laughs> so big day, to, big day tomorrow. And then you got your Sunday to do whatever. Yeah. Or watch uh, no, football. No, no, no. Or watch have the rest of the football. I'll be, uh, I'll be uh, in a gym in De Pere on Sunday. Ooh, wrestling. A little, little wrestling coaching. So nice. first, first event of the year. We'll see how it goes. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Bunch of tough kids, you know. Show up and fight. That's all <laughs> you can do. First real fight club. Don't talk about fight club. <laughs> yep. That's right. So, you guys ready? Yeah, let's do this. Let's talk some risk-averse management. So, what do you got for us, Max? Yeah, so I kind of wanted to hit on uh, on a 
on a topic that um, some salesmen aren't going to want to hear us hit on, but basically I wanted to talk about those those big shifts in management practices that you see from time to time and how we can try and implement those without putting our farm um, in, in, in a big risk area. So risk averse management. So um, the first thing is, is these major swing in forage diets. And in the last five years, we've seen some massive trend um, towards the low lignin alfalfa as well as BMR corn, two new things that um, need a little bit different management um, they come with a little bit different price tag. Um, um, so you, you need to think, um, you can't just decide, okay, next year we have 500 acres of corn silage, 500 acres of hay. It's all going to be BMR and it's all going to be low lignin. It's really hard to justify that cost that quickly um, without any kind of trial on your farm specifically. Let's start with the low lignin alfalfa one. Is For one, alfalfa, you, you, don't, you have to plant some every year. Yep. So you have three to four years of alfalfa sand. So even in the first year, say you plant all the lignin, it's still only probably a quarter of your acres right. in the lignin and it's lower yielding on your new seeding. So typically what's hard with that one is switching to it is a very long-term change, which so in your seeding year, you might have to seed down a bunch and then sort of let that kind of go through the system and just see how it's working and then decide how much to seed in following years. But one way I've seen is you seed sort of half each year, and then especially that second year, you test it and see, okay, am I really seeing a difference in this stuff or not? And then you continue to sort of seed down that half to three quarters. And then when you're all done, yeah, you still have some non-low lignin, but you cut those first, and you cut the low lignin later. Or or even flip flop it and you cut the low lignin first to so get some really really high quality, and then the well, low lignin after that. And I think it's you know you don't have to think of it as I have to transition all my acres either because it's, you can because you can't that's so yeah. that you're right exactly Matt exactly where BMR corn going to your point mm-hmm. on that is that you can jump full into right away which sometimes they're too to just know how you'll see the cows respond sometimes you have to but still you don't have to jump all the way you could. Try a field the first year, see, you know, make sure you segregate it out where you have it in, you know, where you're storing it. Yep. See how the cows do on it. And then for the following year, decide. And then, then you can see both agronomically how it did and how it did with your cows. I do think, though, with BMR corn especially, you you have to, talking about this risk management, Max, is, is when you're, if you'd make that decision to go to BMR corn, have that discussion with, obviously your nutritionist so they know what you got going into the pile but also have that discussion with your agronomist how you're going to mitigate risk in the field during the growing season because we know that bmr corn let's face it is wimpy yep yeah right it just can't handle moisture stress it can't handle rootworms it can't handle hot it can't handle cold it can't handle anything but it but if we treat it right and we put it in the right scenarios it does well for us yeah, I mean, this year we had that kind of droughty period in some spots, and BMR was the first one to start nosing back, right. yep. and it nosed back hard. And and that's what that's what the point here is that okay, it's a BMR corn. I'm not a nutritionist, okay. I'm not going to pretend to be one, but I hear that you it, play one on TV. I play one on. I stayed in Holiday Inn Express last night, <laughs> so, no. so so anyway, it you know it has benefits in the feed pile, right? But there's all these other management things that go into it that can cost extra money it's extra dollars out the door and so if you're not prepared for those costs 
Or if you choose to forego those and your BMR, like you say, is wimpy and it falls on its face, and here you sit with 12-ton corn silage when you're used to making 22-ton corn silage, now you have an issue. Now it doesn't matter how much more milk it makes because you can't feed air in January, right? So... Snow either. You you can you can feed snow for like two days, all right, but then you got to feed that out. <laughs> so I, I really do like um, both um, trying a field. I, I also like splitting a planter um, or doing two rows, two rows, two rows, yep. and, and kind of so you have two rows of BMR next to two rows of your your conventional hybrid. Um, it's hard because the hard, hard part with that is you're, you're not going to see the BMR – how it's performing right. is mixed. But you will get uh, at least an idea of how BMR performs growth-wise. Right. And you can see that without, like I say, without taking a 10-ton yield drag because it got cold or wet or dry. Or it is interesting. That's you how sneezed. we 10 years ago when we were doing BMR, it was all split like right. that in the field. You know, you did half-half. Half-half. And then also now it's like, oh, now we need all of it that way. So that's been an interesting change that... You know, BMR, have we BMR seen, refuge? Well, kind of. It was that <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't love the um, the half like you know we do six rows of BMR and six rows of conventional just because it's hard to get a good mix in the pile because you're basically taking off six rows a whole swaths right. Time, That's yeah. why I really like the two and two because you're getting you're it mixed. always mixing when you're ch- the mix. It's mixing in the chopper. It's mixing when you dump it. It mix right. when you blade. You know when you push it. Yeah. That's my. I mean, that's a personal preference for me. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna experiment with it, I know, like Matt said, you don't see the benefits of, in the feed. Um, and again, start on small acres with that because you're not going to be able to put. Fun- well, you can put fungicide on, but obviously you're applying then to not. That's you're applying to non BMR corn than the fungicide, and right. that I think is one of the reasons why the switch happened. Is we actually one year tried to just spray the six rows BMR, not you know, it wasn't quite do, that way. To do every other pass or something sort of like that. they they. And it was like, no, you got to do the whole field. And then you're basically wasting the B, not necessarily fungicide will still help the non BMR corn, but not the reason you're applying is for the BMR corn. Yep. Well, and the problem with fungicide too is usually, depending on how you're going to put it on, when you're going to put it on, to get a plane in, you need a minimum number of acres. So you got to have neighbors lined up or something to get, even if you're doing just that little bit and you want to get the fungicide. You're gonna find a ground rig, or you gotta to get together with neighbors to get enough acres for a plane to come in. So, I think too with BMR, the farmers that I've worked with have had some neat ideas as far as like you said, Max. Where it's, I had that too. The grower started with half and half planter, and then they went two and two, and now they're down to every other. Yep, they do every other row. I also have another farm that actually they have like thousand acres of silage, and they plant about three hundred BMR. And then it's like a Twinkie in the pile. Like they make, like the BMR is like the filling, and then they <laughs> put the conventional over the top. They got little. It's almost like a little. The conventional is the sponge cake. Yeah, it's like the it's like a, a Werther's uh, a Werther's uh, candy. You right. know, when you when it breaks, and it's got the little like caramel center. Yeah, I mean, so and you can see it in the pile when they when they face it. You can see the, you know, obviously it's a little browner, but. <laughs> So they, they, that's how they choose. Instead of making a separate pile, they choose to make a pile within a pile. It's kind of a, I'm sure it's a little bit harder to manage at harvest, but... Again, when we're talking big picture things and these trying to be risk averse, it's thinking through all these changes, starting on a trial yeah. basis, it's, seeing how it works. It's not just and, ordering a bag of seed. Right. You're not just picking a new yep. variety. Right. I mean, it's, there's a lot that, in, that comes with this specific um, trait. 
Well, and, and with that too, if you are going to spend the money to even try it, don't necessarily quit if it doesn't work the first time. Look back and say, okay, what 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 were we missing? What did, what could I have done differently? Because well, if hard. you quit after the first time, then you've wasted money and you're yeah. never going to find out if it would work. No, we have what is hard in crop farming is the iterations we have to try things are very little. Limited. I yeah. mean, you got. That crop year, and I would say the opposite too, Matt. If, if it worked really well, it, that may not work that well the next year right, as well. Right, don't just jump. Like it's, yeah, okay, we're doing everything. Yep. It's, you got to look at over long-term trends where, like a dairy farmer where they have the bulk tank. 365 days of that, trials. Yes, yep. <laughs> they, you know, they've got that milk right there showing them in their face that, oh, that didn't work this week. You know, we, we got to change something up. And we've literally got one one a year, and they've got 365 data points. So... That's one thing to think about as well. You, you guys are looking ahead at my notes. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't try it. Just because it worked for Joe Smith down the road, that doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And just because it didn't work for Joe Smith down the road, doesn't mean it can't work for you. Okay, One bad experience from a neighbor does not equal bad product. One good experience doesn't equal a good product, like you guys are saying. It's, yep. And it's hard, to, it's hard to justify, okay, we lost money on it this year. It's hard, it is hard to say we should do it again, but... There's, you know, probably thousands of farms doing it, so it must work some way, somehow. Um, it's just maybe finding how that works for you. Uh, another another big one that, that's a hot topic right now is switching to um, no-till or, or even planting green. Um, obviously, we've talked before about both these, and there's benefits, right? I mean, we there's no doubt about it. There's benefits, but... There's a learning curve with doing it, too. I had a farm, very progressive. They really like to try new things. We tried planting green this year. It went average at best. Okay, Those were some of the tougher acres on the farm this year when it came to harvest. We learned a lot. Their equipment, we found out, hey, maybe we need to make some adjustments here. So, yeah, And that's the biggest thing with these two to keep in mind is equipment changes. It's not like you can just change one piece of equipment when you're going changing some of the stuff. Sometimes you got to change multiple ways of managing that whole field. So, and it's not just buying the most expensive no-till trash whipper on the market either. It's no. finding the the one that fits your system. So, are you going after corn corn stubble most of the time? Okay, this you know this one might work better for you if you're going into bean stubble. This one might work better. You know, all that kind of stuff. It, it's not a it's not a you know flip a switch. Okay, we're 100 percent no-till. Even look at planting green specifically. We've kind of found out that trash whippers in general are bind up. Yeah. Right, that, that they, they're not they, made. They cause more problems. Right, they're made to whip trash, not have you right. know a live green plant there. <laughs> they're not. Yeah, so, they're not mowing down. Right. <laughs> so, the but, green. so that is a good point, Max. Is is this does take a lot of trial and error, and making these switches are are good. We want to make sure you know we're more progressive. We're trying stuff, um, but thinking it through and taking it stepwise. And, and with no-till in, in particular, I think what we've seen to a certain extent is when you're in that transitional phase, you, your equipment's different, but then we've actually seen some no-till guys go back to their other equipment. They don't need all the no-till bells and whistles because the ground is mellowed out. They're, they're seeing it. So it is it is kind of a weird it transition. It does seem like yeah. the, the most, you need the most no-till equipment the first two years of trying to be no-till yeah. because that's when your ground is in the worst condition it's going to be in. Hopefully, the worst condition it's going to be in going if you're, forward. If you're going to stay long-term no-till. Yep. I mean, if you're going to... Re- Some guys do periods of no-till, and that, that's different than... than or hy- no-till hy- in the right situation. It should have been the, the hybrid no-till. Yeah. Was, yep. And I... We, um, that'll be a topic of a different time, I think, because I've been thinking a lot of that. Yeah. 
I do think the guys at no-till, they tinker the most with their planters. they like, oh, I'm going to try it this way this year. And then, oh, this thing came out. I'm going to try that. And whether that's different spots where their starter goes or row, row cleaners or row closers or row openers, you know, it just seems like the guys that do no-till tinker a lot with little things on their planter to, like, dial that specific you know, item in that they want to get the best seed bed. Yeah. A guy I used to work with, I used to run equipment for, he used to tell me all the time, he had some old equipment laying around. He said, anybody can run a brand new piece of equipment. Takes a real man to run a piece of junk. <laughs> and that any, anybody can go out in a perfectly fat, flat, conventionally tilled, like beautiful powdery field. You can, anybody should be able to plant in that. It takes some serious brain power at times to no till into heavy corn stubble, wet clay ground. I mean, that, that takes a lot. So, like you say, those guys tinker because they have to. That's yeah. what it takes. Um, and then I guess the major one, the last major one here, you put them together. Um, the 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 true snake oil, silver bullet sales, right? We we have this new chemical product. It's the same as the old one, but different, and it kills more <laughs> weeds. The old one's off patent now. So we have this one that's yeah. much better. Please don't buy the cheap version of the old one. <laughs> okay, and, and the same thing goes with, um, I see a lot, and I'm, I actually had, a, I had three different growers call and ask about these yesterday, was these foliar feeds and, like, micro packs. And yeah, you can be spending 80 bucks an acre pretty fast on some of that stuff. <laughs> right, and, well, I tried it one year, and I, I got one bushel better in the test strip where I did it, and I, it's like, well, one, one bushel doesn't pay the bills, right? So... Um, those silver bullets and th- those seem to be where you really hear about those is in those full fo- those foliar feeds and uh, new chemistries. These are going to change the way you farm. These are going to make the difference, right? And um, I yeah, going forward, there's going to like biologicals. That whole yeah, yep. there's going to be a lot of those coming out. Some are going to work great, you know. Some are going to work. Some are not. So it's just trying to weed through that. Before you buy 400 acres worth of XYZ product, let's maybe run a test strip or a test field. You guys have seen it so many times where, yep, I I bought this whatever in for old, going to put with my starter. Yep. Right? It's going to give me six bushel. So we dump it in, and where we have all these intentions of taking yield or doing whatever, at harvest, and then when harvest comes, we just harvest. And then we get to the planning session, or we get to fall, and we're like, oh, did you test out what that you know, product A work? was? And like, no, we didn't have time. Or we didn't take, you know, like, oh, the chopper came. and He got it before I could yeah, tell him. It's like, and... So we spent, you know, an extra two to $10,000, whatever that number is, and you have no idea if it worked yep. or not. That That is a good point, too, Bill, is you can't compare, like, a lot of times on, the, on there's easy products to compare, there's a lot harder products where you can't just shut something on or off. And so you just do say a field with it and a field without, you can't compare sort of field by field. It's not going to work. No, you got to do it all in the same field. And then like, even with these starter products, a lot of them's like, well, yeah, I shut the starter off to see, and then I turned it on. Well, you're still going to say, have your nutrient part of the starter and then your additive, like a plant growth regulator or something, you got to do it. You can't just do on and off right. all the was time. Was it the That's, starter or was it the additive? Right. Yeah. So it's it's really truly looking at whether they help you or not. And if, if you don't test those things, you're really never going to know. You're, you're going to think you know, but you you don't unless you have true side-by-sides. So um, I guess the 
one of the things here is uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? You don't need to make a change just because you feel like you have to or because a new salesman's got something, right? If you're doing a good job, you're doing a good job, and it's okay to do that. On the flip side, we can't be afraid to try new things either. Um, we have to we have to allow ourselves an opportunity to grow, get better, and, you know, maybe find that extra uh, that extra two bucks an acre in the margin by by changing this or changing that. So, yeah, profitability has got to be a big thing in this decision. Don't just do it to get more bushels because you can buy bushels, right? In this system, you know, do it to to increase your profitability. If if you gained five bushels on these acres. But that stuff costed you a hundred dollars an acre. Did you come out ahead or behind? Right, you're behind. Right. Okay. So, just because we got five bushels doesn't mean it was really worth it. I do think it's a finding a balance of. I mean, think of it. You have all these knobs and levers ahead of you, and you can change them and dial stuff in. And each some falls, it seems like we're wanting. I don't know why this fall feels that way for me. Is like we're wanting to change like every dial and lever just to see what'll work next year. Because um, it was an average year, to be honest. I mean, we had a good year, but there was certain things where it's like, man, I thought we'd maybe do a little bit better. So in, where, when 18 and 19, those, the weather just kind of blew us out. So we're just hoping to kind of do okay. We were, and those, I, I think part of it is that those couple years there, we were just hanging on. There wasn't yes, a thing right, we could do. Right. Now we feel like we have a little bit of control maybe going forward. And we're like, well, let's make some changes. Yeah. Let's do something different. Because we sat on our hands for two years and just let Mother Nature... Rain. You, you punch us in the face yeah. <laughs> over and over and over again. But but you're right on farms. The if it's not broke, don't fix it. I mean, you're not fixing other equipment you have on your farm, you know. And maybe think about change a few things, see what doesn't work and what works, and just keep a balance of that. Because if you don't change anything, you're never going to learn. But if you change everything every year, you're never going to learn either. Because but you don't know well, what what, what worked. Right. Yeah. Well, I change everything. This worked great this year. Well. Maybe you didn't need to change everything. Maybe there was just a few things um, that that you should have. All right. So there you go. When you're looking at risk management or risk-averse management in this case, make, making decisions is more complicated than just wanting to try something. Think it through. Look at all the angles. Try to make sure it's what's best for your farm. So now we'll move into our spotlight. All right, so today's spotlight, an unusual event, a Michigan farmer, that's right, Michigan. He's in Charlotte, but it's Charlotte, Michigan. No. Topped the 2020 NCGA yield contest with 476 bushel per acre yield. That's pretty good. So yeah, Don Stahl of Charlotte, Michigan, got the top yield he produced... 476.9052 476.9052 bushels per acre in the conventional irrigated division. So it was irrigated ground. And the contest is in its 56th year. Remains one of the most popular uh, Corn Growers Association programs for members. And I think what's the, is it a minimum of five acres you have to grow? Or what's ten, 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 yep. ten acres. Ten. So ten acre minimum. So obviously you have to harvest you like have an acre and a quarter. Yeah, but you yeah you got to skip so many rolls yep. and yep very well. I mean, it's done correctly. Yeah, right yeah. If you have, I think it's like <laughs> the monitor you, touches four seventy six. Right? No, it's not like that. Stop, we got her. <laughs> I think if you like combine six rows, you got to skip eighteen. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, the twenty seven national winners in nine categories had yields averaging three hundred and forty five 
0.9 bushel. So I didn't know where Charlotte, Michigan is too. It's kind of by Lansing. Yeah, it's, so it's not right on. I thought it'd be right on the border. You know, kind of by Ohio or Illinois, and it's it's well, not Illinois. But yeah, no, it's it's right near the capital. What yeah. do you think 475 bushel corn looks like? <laughs> I was, you know what. I, I'll work on the math. I, I think you'd want to wear a hard hat going past those <laughs> yeah. cobs. Hitting them in your... Might knock you out. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, and especially up north. I mean, you wouldn't... You'd expect that... That, that is what's cool about this story is yeah. it's in Michigan. Yeah, not, it's not I mean, there are Missouri neighbors. Or yeah. you, usually these are... Even Missouri, it, usually it's further south than that. Usually it's, um, you know, Texas. I Carolina think is sometimes, Carolinas. yeah. Because last year, I think it was... Was it North or South Carolina? One of the, one of the Carolinas, I think, had it last year. So, to all our growers in Wisconsin, the, bar, the you're bar telling set. me there's a chance. Yep. <laughs> no, the bar is set, Bill. We're not. We're not saying there's a chance. The bar is set. Bar is set. It's four seventy six. <laughs> all right. <laughs> wow. All right. Now we'll move on to our egg history minute. There's my banjo music. Is this your favorite segment, Matt, with the music? It is. I do like this music. <laughs> All right. Today we're going to talk about Gregor Mendel. And in 1865, Gregor Mendel um, had his first paper on genetics to the local scientific organization. It was decades before his intellectual seeds would take root on the fertile grounds of Darwinism and grow a scientific res- revolution. Mendel was born in 1822 and became an Augustine monk living in a monastery in Brune, Moravia. Moravia uh, was run by the Austrians at that time. It's now known as Brno, I'm going to say, in the Czech Republic. Uh, It was there that he grew 28,000 pea plants during the period from 1856 to 1863. He kept careful records of his crossbreeding experiments and recorded each individual plant's height, pod shape, flower location, and color, seed, uh, as well as seed shape. Mendel's work would eventually become the foundation for selective breeding to create modern-day hybrids. The, the father of genetics. Think yeah. of how boring the day-to-day of that was. <laughs> I mean, just like... Well, what else were you going to do? No TV, no... <laughs> like, entertainment-wise, no isn't really... That's true. Well, you didn't go anywhere... And, and maybe if you even knew him at that time, you'd be like, yeah, this guy's... Plus, he's a monk. I mean... Like, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. He's a monk. He's not out partying with, <laughs> right. uh, well, like, it's 1863. Well, it's funny that you say that, like, oh, my gosh, he's, like, keeping track of the flower location and color. Look at a modern-day soybean oh. book. <laughs> they give you the flower color. Like, yeah. it, Oh, no, I, I'm not saying it's not important, but it just... If you, you'd be like, get all this guy. He's just, he's just measuring pea pods all day. <laughs> What'd you do for the last nine hours? Oh, I was looking at my pea plants. He literally was like watching no, paint dry. Yeah, no, right, right. <laughs> Agriculture so version. How cool that is. Watch like the flower he... open on pea plants all day. I did have a, a good dad moment the other day. My son, he's in sixth grade, came home, science class. They were talking about genetics and breeding, and that was kind of cool because this, this whole Gregor Mendel thing came up. So Yeah, no, I mean, we all learn about him in biology Gregor. and talk about Gregor. his work. To this day. So, yeah, it's important work. Just, yeah. Not something you'd expect to see too many people doing nowadays is planting all those plants and inspecting them with a level of detail. And I would think nowadays with all the computer technology and all that, right, you can, can just make something to do with yes, a lot of that work for, yeah, you. for you. 
But I can't talk. And when I was in college, I worked in a greenhouse round and literally had to cut by hand, give haircuts to switchgrass. Uh, so for like eight hours straight. Did you love it? Certain ones, yep. It was okay. Got to listen to some. They didn't have podcasts at that time. so You didn't want to hear. You don't want to hear mine. Got to listen to some sports radio. It's what? Why he's here and not. Still in a greenhouse uh, yeah. cutting. <laughs> I've, yeah. I have a friend who does uh, CBD processing. Yeah, and he oh. he he doesn't do it. He he runs the operation, but he pays somebody to cut flowers yeah. off of it's manual plants. Yeah. And I, I think we, like, I think we have an employee that had a little yeah hemp, with like a manicure with like a manicure scissors. Doing, <laughs> yeah, he's doing that. <laughs> I'll pass. Snippy. Mine was mine was grinding cow pies. Decent. Yeah. What kind of grinder? Um, it was like a mill. Oh yeah, I did do that too with the switchgrass in a middle, and then you vacuum it all yep. out. Yeah, had to vacuum everyone. Yeah, wear the old dust mask. That's where my was... love of Jim Rome started because there was nothing else to listen to. Clones. That was when it was like Rome is Burning was still on yeah. TV. Yeah. So back in the Stone Age. All right, thanks to all the listeners out there. We appreciate you listening. Um, if you like what you're hearing, please go to naicc.org, which is the National Alliance of Independent Crop Consultants. And there you can find a crop consultant in your area. Please subscribe to the podcast. That helps us tell a farmer friend to subscribe. Show them what a podcast is. And uh, tell, them, tell them about our podcast. Matt, where can they follow us? You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Now it's time to do some current events with Cool Beans. That's corny. So Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. And the heck with you, Seth Myers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he. Uh, so the last people in a segment, Bill. I think you tweeted yep. this out, and we responded on our Twitter account. Nice. Uh, the last people to get COVID vaccines should be the people who still say "cool beans." Well, Sean Conway wasn't impressed. Jokes on you! I used to ride the bus to public school. I'm not afraid. <laughs> <laughs> so our cool beans this week is Wisconsin farmer. Planting soybeans in December. Literal cool beans. Yes, they are very, <laughs> very cool beans. Can we say cold beans? Frozen beans. Chili beans. So chili beans. <laughs> chili beans, yeah. It's a different... Did, uh, did he plant those? Different spelling of yeah, chili. Chili, yeah. Did anybody try planting chili beans in December to mm. see if they're better cold tolerance? I, I don't think so. I would doubt that they are, but you know. I'll just put them in my chili and go with that. I, I did actually see a, beans a, and chili. A, a different article. Had, I think it was another farm. I don't remember if it was Wisconsin or not, but um, this one's Ryan Nell Farms in Beaver Dam. Uh, talked about it and with a few people and said, what the heck? Let's go out there and plant three acres. So he put in three acres of beans. Uh, so we'll see what happens to them. He's hoping that they'll stay in the ground until they're ready. And to get a jump on the wet spring. So hopefully they'll kind of get out there, be ready, and not have to deal with crusting and stuff. To go back to our risk-adverse management, he only did three acres, which is good. Yep, yep, yep. The seed was given to him by a seed salesman, I assume. So a free seed. So not a lot of risk there. Oh. And then he did like a bunch of different three populations in three different depths. He did inch, two-inch, three-inch nice. depths. So figure in like... Deep because I know when he he said he plants early March he goes like two plus inch like what we plant cornet yep. so that because it's more insulated sure so trying to see that yeah difference. for those those overnight quarter inch freezes or half inch uh, right. freezes yeah right so you assuming down three inches well even a lot of our soil um, 
temperature data is at four inch depth. Yep. And so seeing that, you know, yeah, I could see where being at three might be, can might you, work. Cause, can you imagine that sales pitch for early seat or like uh, <laughs> uh, cold tolerance on early season figure when those things come yeah. out of the ground? They're planted. <laughs> These they're, beans can be planted in December and they still grow. It'd be great. Yeah, and he, he also strip tilled, so he going to warm that area. Warm that area up a little bit. And 140,000 and 200,000 plant per acre population. Okay, so it was two pops. Yep. yep. Okay. That's a lot going on. Three depths and two pops, yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, huh, it's interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I, wor- I would worry in our soils, especially the heavy clays, that they just flat rot in Sure, there'd be in March subsurface and moisture that would... Yeah, you're, you're right about it. The field would have to be tiled. And yeah. Good yeah. drainage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Actually, in December probably won't be the problem. It potentially could be like in right, if you get an early later. thaw in like January. February, January, yeah. that could be where it could really actually. You know, obviously now it'd be fine. Your beans get two feet of snow on them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he was hoping for a jump on not having to wait for the ground to dry out and be able to plant. But yeah, if it does stay wet for a prolonged period when they're in the ground, yeah, they could just. Although that one year that it was eighty degrees in March and never got colder. That would have been a perfect year to do this because yeah. it would have warmed up. They would have flow out, flew yeah. out of the ground in Back March. In 2012, yeah. yeah. I've heard of prepaying your inputs, but this is a new one. Pre-planting your inputs. Prepaying your beans and well, corn. And it's he, just like, nope, I'm going right. He called it plant 20.5. So instead of, <laughs> yeah. It's not 2020, it's not 2021. It's somewhere in between. I, a lot of us are trying plant. to forget 2020 in general yeah. as far as like, and this just makes like you're going to... Can you imagine the the brain origami it takes to plan that out in Snap Plus? Yeah. <laughs> it's by crop year. Yeah, you're it's right. You're right. It is by crop year. Then there's no spring tillage. That's right. All this all the tillage was fall. Matt's got a, Max has got a nervous twitch over here trying to <laughs> figure out which category to click that one in. Where you gotta move on here. All right. Our that's corny for this week. Brazil's government announced this week it will let the current tariff rate quota expire, replacing it with a 20% tariff on all imports of U.S. ethanol. So, so what's the current rate? Um, that's a good question. That's what I was looking in. Less than 20%, I'm I can tell you that. Yes. I'm not sure it doesn't say here, but 20% of anything sounds bad. Honestly, when you start talking about a, a tax or a tariff, twenty percent sounds like a lot. Does Brazil import that much of our ethanol? I didn't um, did not know that. It's uh, our they ex- have exports have been dropping to them lately. But. Okay. Brazil has exported nearly ninety six million gallons of fuel ethanol to the United States. Right, that's what I was. Yeah, is there more of an exporter? Yeah. than an importer. Yeah, definitely not. Not great, but you know, we literally had cool beans and something corny today. We we followed the trend like perfectly. It's good. Good job, guys. All right. Now, Max, what's our egg idiom for this week all to right. wrap it all up? Our egg idiom, fitting that Christmas is next week. Okay, so maybe your kids should listen to this episode of the podcast. <laughs> Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Um, roughly, you know, easy translation. Be thankful when something is going well. Don't get too greedy. 
Um, and the, this comes from a horse's age was determined by looking at its teeth. Evidently, there was a time when those people who had been given a horse as a gift would look into its mouth to see how old it was, and if it wasn't a young horse, they would complain about the gift oh. that had been given to them. Yep. <laughs> That's great. It's good, not good enough just to get a horse. you got to have a young yeah. one. Ungrateful little brats. Yeah, is this, I don't know this, if this I, horse isn't new. Uh, can I get a new one? This is last year's model horse. <laughs> it is cool, though, doing this, this segment to know where these things we've said our whole lives, where they, they actually come from. Something in our history of like, I gave you a horse. It wasn't good enough. Yeah, if someone gives you something <laughs> for free, you. be I'm appreciative. Ne- though I don't know if I don't want to get any horse. No. Even an, I'd actually rather have an old horse. But then I didn't realize horses <laughs> live. Horses live like different. forty years. It's like, well, what? man, yeah. Did they, I was at they a can. They can don't always. Yes, I was just at a say, at a farm, and they're like, man, I wish this horse wouldn't live. You know, like it's mom's horse and. It's just still around, and you're like, yeah. well, in in, our, in modern times, giving a horse is actually more of like a a, a problem for right. the person. Getting <laughs> right. it. Is you got to feed it, you got to house it. Like if I live, in a, and they live a long time. It's right. not like even a dog. You know, most pets don't live that long. So, yes, yeah. All so right. there you go. Well, that does it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. This week we talked about risk averse management and keeping your eye on. All the aspects of trying new things, not just trying it for the sake of trying it. In our spotlight, we looked at a Michigan farmer topping the corn growers yield contest with 476 bushels in his category. Egg History Minute, we talked about Gregor Mendel. Cool beans was some literal cool beans going in the ground here in December in Wisconsin. And That's Corny was tariffs on ethanol exports. So don't look a gift horse in the mouth this Christmas. And as always, happy farming.